Stone and Tile Show is proud to be sponsored by the National Tile Contractors Association. The NTCA is a leading trade association in the tile and stone industry dedicated to professional installation of ceramic tile and natural stone. With more than 1,500 members representing thousands of installers, NTCA works hard to be a strong voice for proper installation and qualified labor. The association invests in a professional staff to provide technical support and assistance and offers free educational seminars and regional training opportunities around the country. To learn more about what the NTCA can offer for you or your business, go to the website www.tile-assn.com. That's www.tile-assn.com. Good evening, folks, and welcome to the Stone and Tile Show. I am your host, Fred Houston, and I am thrilled tonight. Uh, we have two guests um, that we're going to be interviewing tonight, and uh, uh, you guys may know Mark uh, Heinlein and Rob Roderick, and we're going to get those guys in here in a minute. They are the top trainers for the uh, TCNA. So let's see if we got I mean, See, I got them on the line here. Let's get them in here one at a time. And there's one. Hold on, guys. Welcome, Mark and Rob. Are you guys there? Hey, Fred uh, and Mark here. Good to be here. All right. Rob, yeah. you there? All right. Yeah, Great, guys. All right. Good. Well, we're, we're have an exciting show today. We're going to talk about bonding. We'll talk about spot bonding and perhaps some other type of bonding issues. But, you know, for those listening for, for the first time here, uh, Mark and Rob, why don't you guys introduce yourself, uh, starting with Mark, just a, just a brief introduction. Okay, thanks, Dr. Fred. It's great to be back on your show. Uh, what a great program that you have. Uh, for everybody that doesn't yet know us, uh, I'm Mark Heinlein. I'm the training director for the National Tile Contractors Association, the NTCA, and we are the world's largest association of tile contractors. And Rob? Okay. Well, Dr. Fred, again, thank you for having us. It's just a real honor to be part of your show. Uh, for anyone that doesn't know me, I'm a technical trainer with the National Contractors Association. I go around doing educational programs and workshops around the United States and also support our members' questions and, and a variety of other things. But uh, thank you so much for having us, Fred. Oh, great. Good, good, guys. Uh, let me give out the, tele the call and telephone number here, too. I've, I've got a ton of questions, but I'm sure if we have anybody listening out there live, the call-in number is 323-870-3968. That's 323-870-3968. All right, guys, let, let's get right into it. You know, the, the spot bonding issue has been around a long time. It's been around as long as I've been in the business, which has been 40-plus years, and to, for the life of me, I, I don't understand why guys out there are still doing that. So uh, either one of you, Mark or Rob, why don't you chime in? And let, first, first, let's describe to those that might be a novice in this, this uh, industry as to what is spot bonding, and then we'll get into why we shouldn't do it. Uh, well, I'll take a stab at that, Rob, if you don't mind. Uh, Fred, bonding tile or stone to a substrate, is incredibly important and spot bonding is a bad way to do that bad way to get the tile bonded to the substrate the reason is we need a lot of coverage between the tile and the substrate to make sure that it's well adhered uh, 
our tile industry standards call for 80% in a dry area and 95% in a wet area to bond that tile to the substrate. Spot bonding is sort of like a, an easy way out where just a few dabs or spots of mortar or thin set are tossed onto the back of the tile. The tile is kind of smooshed down to the substrate and made flat to the tiles that neighbor it. And then the installer moves on to the next one. They can set tile at a rapid pace, but time and again, uh, that bond doesn't really hold up. Water gets back in there. The environment gets back behind the tile. There isn't enough bond to begin with, and problems happen. Mold happens, mildew happens, debonding happens, and the system falls apart. Yep. You want to add to that at all, Rob? Yeah. Uh, you know, one thing you said, Fred, early on was what, you know, this is becoming increasingly more and more of a problem. And, you know, I was just thinking about why, why is that? And, you know, we went from floating mud where we created a nice, very flat substrate to more thin set applications where we just go over existing surfaces like concrete or, or uh, you know, concrete board on walls. We're not floating mud and creating those really flat surfaces and guys are also dealing with larger tiles you know that's been the trend in the tile industry the tiles just mm -hmm. keep getting larger and uh, when they do that's problematic when you have a surface that isn't flat and you have a large tile that you need to install so you know one remedy that that people come up with which is an incorrect way to do it is the spot bonding they put a dab here and a dab there and then they just squeeze it into where all the tiles are you know, nice and flush with each other. But like Mark said, there's all kinds of problems with that. You've got voids back underneath the tile, which make it very vulnerable to being broke. You're not meeting that minimum mortar requirement that we have in the TCNA of 80% in a dry area and 95% in a wet area. But uh, there's all kinds of issues. And this is with mortar bed applications. There is, you know, I, don't, I didn't really want to get into this too much, but there is one method uh, where spot bonding is allowed. Uh, it is with epoxy. It's on walls. It's in a, just a very unique circumstance. Uh, you know, there's different qualifications. It has to be a certain environmental exposure classification, meaning it doesn't receive any water. It can only be done on the wall. It has mm -hmm. to be in a unique situation. But what we see is it's being used on floors everywhere. It's being used in showers being used all over the place and, and it's become a real problem but uh, I guess that's yeah, all you, I'd have to ask yeah, well, that, forever. Yeah, and we will <laughs> yeah it, it, it's interesting it's interesting because I've always wondered you know throughout my years you know where this came about and you know one of the things you mentioned Rob is, is something that that I've seen accepted and you know back in the day when we did wall cladding cladding especially in the exteriors I mean you know a lot of times those particular big panels are mechanically anchored and we would use spot bonding not to bond but to shim and you know, do you guys have any input of where and I hate to put you on the spot <laughs> no pun intended uh, but um yeah, where where this has come from? I mean, what's the history of it? Why are guys? I mean, I think Mark, you've mentioned part of it. You know, it's it's a lazy way out. You're using less mortar, et cetera. But any other input as to you know why guys are doing this? Is it just a time thing? Well, well, Fred, I think you nailed it there. It came back came to us from that 
part of the industry where mechanical anchoring was used and spots were a shim. Well, people who became tile setters brought that aspect with them to the process of setting tile. And why they found it necessary is, as Rob said, substrate prep wasn't there. In other words, they didn't have a flat substrate to install their tile onto. So they brought that spot bonding component over, put it on an unflat substrate, and that was the approach that they used to get the surface of their finished installation flat, even though their substrate wasn't flat. Right. Makes sense. Makes a, makes a lot, so, of, lot of sense. Yeah. You know, I, I, Fred, I made a, made a list here of what it takes to get a flat substrate and to get a tile installation done correctly. Perfect. The number one item on that list is substrate preparation. Um, we need to get that substrate prepared correctly. The, um, the right ability for that adhesive or that bond to grab it, that's super important. But also to get it flat to the, meet the tile industry standards to make sure that we have the right mortar thickness or the right bond coat thickness. Um, you know, Rob talked about making a thick bed, and that's a terrific way to get a true and flat and usually a level substrate if you need one. Um, and with the advent of thin set mortars, like Rob said, we're going right onto the concrete or right onto the substrate that wasn't designed to be flat enough to begin with. Um, Rob, can you maybe tell us what that industry standard for flatness is? Yeah, there's basically two of them. There's several, but the two major ones that I would want everyone to know is there's a standard for what's you know commonly referred to as large format tile, and that's any tile that has one side that's 15 inches or, or larger. And then there's a standard for the smaller tiles, everything that's smaller than that. So for the large tile, um, we shouldn't have any deviation. And when I use the word deviation, I mean we shouldn't have any hump or a dip in that surface of more than an eighth of an inch in a 10-foot radius. Um, with the smaller tiles, we can have a quarter of an inch in 10, but even at that standard of a quarter of an inch in 10, there's hardly any surface that we're going to put tile on, whether it be concrete or a wall, that's not going to require some type of prep. And so, you know, one of the reasons, and I know, Fred, your question, your original question was, why, why do people do this? Right. It is a their minds a time saver there's also an expense aspect to it you know people look at well you know uh i don't want to spend the extra money to use the right products and they end up using thinset and, and doing the spot bond bonding method so that that's a little bit of it you know both of those are bad ideas because it's a tremendous liability and risk by uh, you know, not doing the installation correctly, and it kind of hurts the whole industry when these jobs fail. Mm -hmm. But the standards are there, and one thing that can help tile contractors is to quote those standards. I know in my own business before I was working for the NTCA, and all of my estimates and proposals, I would put all surfaces to receive tile must meet the TCNA standard of no deviation of more than a quarter of an inch and 10 foot or additional prep will be required that's not reflected in this estimate. You know, it, it is extra work. Mm -hmm. You need to get paid for it. And, um, you know, that's something that you're, you're not 
citing your opinion, you're citing the industry standard, and that can come in handy when you're dealing with customers and change orders and needing to get paid for additional work. Uh, that's an excellent, excellent point. Let, let's back up a minute. And you had mentioned, you know, we're talking about small tile versus large tile. And I remember, I'm going to age myself now. I remember back in a day where we considered anything over an eight by eight a large tile. So, you know, that, right. that back in the day, that would qualify a twelve by twelve. But, but that's changed. Uh, why don't you talk a little bit about, you know, what what do we consider a small tile versus a large tile? Well, Mark, why don't you address, uh, you know, the definition of a large format tile for us? That, you know, that this is a really interesting question. Uh, technically, there isn't an actual definition of a large format tile in the ANSI standards. That's the ANSI standards or the TCNA handbook. That definition can't be pulled out and read. Where we get that, um, yeah, and, and that's something that there's some discussion and debate going on right now in the ANSI uh, standard committees. They're talking about the potential for a need of a definition for large format tile. Where it really comes from, though, is the ANSI standards, ANSI A108 in particular, where it talks about the substrate flatness that Rob described. Um, the substrate flatness for the smaller tiles, the ones that you remember that used to be the large tiles, Fred, right. those ones, uh, that flatness is a quarter of an inch in that deviation uh, in a 10-foot span across the substrate. And that means a wall or a floor or a ceiling or a countertop. We need that substrate flat to within a quarter of an inch in 10 feet. And that's for the smaller tiles. Now, for tiles that have any one side 15 inches or larger, that's when the standard gets doubled down, and we need an eighth of an inch variation in 10 feet to make sure that we install this larger tile or the large format tile on our substrate. So an eighth of an inch in 10 feet for a tile with one side 15 inches or longer and that's what constitutes a large format tile. Perfect. Now, you know, going back to what I forget, can't remember whether you said it, Mark or Rob, but uh, talking about substrate prep, I, I remember years ago I was in uh, in one of the department stores with my wife, and uh, she was, you know, at the, cosmo the cosmetic department, and the <laughs> the lady behind the counter said, you wouldn't put makeup on a dirty face, would you? <laughs> I think that's a great analogy for uh, for what we do in a tile industry. I mean, we're 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 not structural people; we're decorative people. You know, we're we're making it look look pretty. And uh, if the substrate is not prepped properly, then you know that we have an issue with it falling apart. Our makeup falls off, <laughs> in other words. But get, getting back enough about my story. <laughs> get, getting back yeah, to hey, that's uh, a great analogy, Fred. <laughs> oh, thank Her you. Uh, getting, getting back to coverage versus bond, and I, I want to make sure this is clear because I run into a lot of installers and a lot of experienced installers, too, and I get this in court all the time, too, what, what the difference is between coverage and bonding, bondage and bondage in the tile industry, that is. Uh, but um, uh, <laughs> yeah, um, uh, we won't go there, we guys. Can, we, yeah, well, I was going to say, we can take this anywhere you want, Fred. 
Hey, okay. But uh, you know, I, I get this all I get this all the time, and, and the example I always give is that you know pavers that are installed outside, you know, either around a pool deck or in a driveway, you know, particularly concrete pavers are 100% coverage but zero bond. So let's discuss that a little bit. You know, what's the difference between bond and coverage, and how do they relate to one another? Either one of you can take that. Well, I'll, I'll start us off, but Fred, you're hitting the nail on the head. You get that substrate <laughs> flat first. So that, that's the first thing you've got to do. And then you have to make sure that your surface is prepped correctly. Um, there's no bond breakers on that surface. I'll give you an example of a bond breaker. And then, hey, Rob, I'll let you, you take over in a sec. Uh, a bond breaker might be when you're a, a residential tile contractor and you're working on a wood frame structure and it's a brand new house and you're in there and it's beautiful and you come in after the painters have been there and that painter comes in and I like painters, a professional painter. It's a really a great trade. I've learned a lot from them, but they come in there with these spray guns and they spray their primer and their paint all over the place, including on your substrate. So now there's paint all over the substrate. And what they need to bond to is that paint. Well, we don't want to have that paint between the bond of our thin set and the plywood or whatever is underneath there that we're going to be bonding to. That paint has got to go. We call that a bond breaker. Um, Rob, can you give any other examples of bond breakers and what it takes to bond to a substrate? Yeah, you did a terrific job explaining that. One really common uh, bond breaker is, uh, you know, we use wet saws to cut our tile. And if you have a completely wet tile and you set that in uh, mud and thin set, uh, that it can have a, a thin layer of water that's actually between the tile and the mortar, and it can create a problem with, with the bond. And... Um, also, you know, there can be, and it's not doesn't happen real often, but there can be kiln release issues, which, you know, when tiles are made, they're made and fired, and there's kiln release put on those tiles to keep them from um, wanting to stick to each other. And sometimes it's just a fine dust. Sometimes that can be a bond breaker. If you're doing stone tiles, of course, dust can be a, a bond breaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, whole variety of different bond breakers but the difference you know when we're talking about coverage mortar coverage and bond breaker we're talking about that transition between either the tile and the mortar there's a bond breaker there like the water i described or the mortar and the substrate like mark described with that lacquer being on the floor those those are bond breakers but when we're talking about coverage we're talking about the support of the tile and how much mortar is underneath that tile to support it uh, without it having any voids underneath it, which could uh, be vulnerable to being broke. I think right. that's the best way to describe it. Oh, that's great. Now, actually, that that's that's great. But you know, you, you guys keep talking. It keeps bringing up all these questions. And then, and one of the things you had mentioned, Rob, which I, I think is interesting, is that you know I, I grew up in the in the in the industry where where my dad all he ever did was mud set. You know, it was all thick bed. And uh, one of the things we used to do that I don't see any stallers ever doing ever 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 and you know maybe it's not necessary with today's mortars but let's talk about it is that we used to soak our tiles 
we would actually mm-hmm. soak our tiles before we install them. What, what's your guys' opinion on that? Why we're not doing that, or should we be doing that, or is it really necessary at this uh, this day and age? Yeah, you want to take a swing at that, Mark, or you want me to go ahead, Rob? I'll... Okay. Well, basically, most of the tiles that are being installed nowadays are, are porcelain or are a pressed floor tile. That's what they would be called in, in the ANSI standard. And they wouldn't necessarily need to be soaked, but there are some high porosity, um, you know, stone tiles and, and a few tiles that, that do need to be soaked. And of course, you'd have to talk to the manufacturer about that. Um, for the most part, though, that's a very, very few tile installations. Me and Mark travel all over the country and, and are in all types of showrooms and deal with you know, all of our members for technical support. And I don't think we've ran across too many uh, tiles that the manufacturer required them to be soaked. I would say it was very, very few. Um, uh, So it's really more about the fabrication of the tile compared to the day to what it used to be in in times past. And also the installation methods, like you said, the thin sets, they're, uh, you know, a lot more, uh, they have a lot more latex and different polymers in them that make them stickier and, and they function different than what we had, you know, many years ago when people were soaking tiles and and uh, doing mainly mud installations. Great. I think we right. got a and caller. And, 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 okay, go ahead. Good, Mark. I was just saying, I think we have a caller in here waiting, so let me get him in here and see if he has a question, him or her, I should say. Uh, we got a caller from the 414 area code. Are you there? Yes, I am. This is hey, Lee Calloward. What, hey, what's your name? Lee Calloward. Hey, Lee. You have a question for Mark or Rob? Yeah, I think you just kind of touched on it. It was um, basically the soaking of tiles, which I've seen a lot of. And it's a little worrisome. And I just wondered what you all thought about that. You know, I mean, back in the day, yes, when we were fresh setting, you know, in doing terracotta, you soaked the terracotta in a barrel, you muttered your floor, you sprinkled your your Portland, your white Portland, then you, you beat them into the surface. But I'm seeing more and more people out there soaking their ceramics or soaking their clays but then using thin set. So I just wondered what you all thought about that. Yeah, Lee, you're exactly, you're exactly right, Lee. Uh, we're seeing that same thing. And uh, Fred, I think that's what you were getting at too, is uh, what your dad used to do was that thick bed installation. And mm-hmm. let me talk for a little bit about the two different types of installation methods of tile. Um, method number one is called the, wet set method where you would have that uh, fresh mortar bed like we said you'd have that fresh set mortar bed and it's still damp or just beginning to cure and he'd broadcast the portland cement on there and you'd have that soft bodied tile soaking um, and then you'd pull that tile out of a pail or a bucket or a galvanized tin and you put it on top of your uh, portland cement that's on top of your fresh wet set thick bed and then you tap it in with your mallet and now that's going to form this monolithic slab of tile installation so that that was probably what your dad did right Fred yep it was it was yep 
Yep. So that's, you know, the wet set method. Today, with the um, thin set mortars, like, you know, uh, the word polymer has been tossed around. There's a lot of chemistry in these mortars. Sometimes there's, I've heard manufacturers, there's 29 different chemicals or polymers or all of these fancy things in these thin set mortars that are produced at the factories. And there's a whole range of these things. And all of these elastic and polymer type chemicals are designed to grab the body of the tile, to grab the um, substrate and to bond them together. Because of that grab, these, uh, well, because of the chemistry behind these, they need water as another chemical to mix them together to make them work. So I'm going to get to my point in just a second. Once that chemistry comes together with the right amount of water mixed at the right speed for the right amount of time, we no longer need that wet set method. We can now have a dry substrate and set with that thin set mortar using the dry set method. So the, the substrate isn't wet, it's dry, so we'll use a dry set, thin set mortar that was mixed properly to adhere that porcelain tile or that soft body tile, that paver to the substrate. Like Rob said, when we see people, and like Lee said, when we see people dunk that porcelain tile or dunk that ceramic tile uh, or soft body tile in the water and they add more water now into the mix, it's going to serve as a bond breaker or weaken the bond of the tile to the dry set, thin set mortar. Excellent explanation. Anything to add to that, Rob? No, he did a great job. That was terrific. Yeah, great, great. Was now you you brought up you brought up a, a very interesting topic there, Mark. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna bring this up, uh, and that is you know now I'm not asking you guys to be chemists by any means, but uh, let me tell you a quick story, and uh, and this is something I'm sure you guys have seen seen as well, and that is uh, uh, I, I had a project many years ago where uh, tiles were failing all over this casino floor, and I went and talked to the installer, and asked the installer what kind of thin set he used he told me and he said he used a latex additive and i said oh okay well that that's great that's good for this particular type of tile you do need to make sure you have the you know the proper latex additive in there then i asked him to describe to me how he mixed the thin set and you had mentioned mix mark which is what brought me to this question and what he basically said is he would take his bucket he would put his thin set in a bucket he would add some water and then he'd add a couple latex to it and I'm sure you guys know what's wrong with what I just described, but mm -hmm. it, it, it brings me to the to the point, and I'll let you guys discuss this. Uh, brings me to the point of reading the directions and make sure you're mixing this material these materials properly. So um, you know what I'm getting at, don't you guys? <laughs> oh, sure do. totally. And I mean these these mortars and grouts that we have, we have a wider selection of products now than we've ever had with self leveling and patch and yep. You know, we, we do have ANSI standards for how to install them, but oftentimes the ANSI standards will, they always delegate you to follow the manufacturer's directions in the end. Like there's, uh, you know, directions even about mixing mortar and what RPMs you should use on your drill to mix mortar. You can find that in, in, in the ANSI standards. But 
it also has a little disclaimer that, you know, but in the end, follow the manufacturer's guidelines. And there's some manufacturers that want, you know, really low RPMs, and there's some manufacturers that want really high RPMs. So it's more important today to read the directions than ever before because there's just really a lot of unique chemistry like Mark described going on with different products. And they may seem like they're similar to each other, but when there's different manufacturers involved, they have different raw materials oftentimes and uh, different uh, chemical uh, compounds in them. And so it, it is very, very important to follow manufacturer's directions. And probably one of the leading reasons that we have seen failures, I would say, uh, and it oftentimes comes from guys like ourselves that have been around for a long time and we see products and we think, oh, we use such and such other product, product B, which is the same thing, just a different manufacturer. Well, it isn't exactly the same thing. It is a little bit different, and following those those few little directions can make a big difference and sometimes lead to failures. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, I'd say it's more important today than ever. Terrific explanation, Robin. And, Fred, can I add something to that? Absolutely. Um, you, You know, I have been very privileged to be taken behind the scenes at some major setting material manufacturer headquarters and having toured their research and development labs by their chief chemists, the people that develop these products that Rob just described that we use. And, you know, these are PhDs. You know, I'm not a chemist. A lot of tile installers, I think, like to become field chemists. But I've been fortunate enough to meet these uh, chemists that are the engineers that develop these products. And um, they've shown me behind the scenes everything that goes into the, the development and testing for different applications. And I remember particularly at one of these major corporations that everybody would recognize the name if I said it, their, their lead chemist took me through this tour. And at the end of the tour, I asked, if, if, if I have my attendees here at a workshop, if you were in front of them, what would you want to say to them? And what would you want me to say to them for you? Without skipping a beat, I was told to say, read and follow my directions. Amen. The directions <laughs> that he wrote and he put on the back of that bag of the material that he uh, develop. So, so important. Yeah, amen to that, Mark. And I, I can't tell you how many times I've been on a job site and, you know, someone would leave a bag of setting mortar behind and then I'd look at the back of it and I'm thinking, this guy never read the, the lim- at least the limitations of this particular product. So it's interesting, but it brings up another, another interesting question that, that I thought of. And, you know, I don't want you to mention, you know, brand names or everything, but, but do you guys recommend mixing brands uh you know i i see this all the time where you know one guy might prefer you know uh a, a particular type of grout by one manufacturer but he's using a setting material from another manufacturer what, what's what's your advice there well you know the way the the uh, handbook is written with methods uh it has a material section in the end of each method. And basically what it says there is that we just need to make sure that we use materials that meet the particular ANSI standard, you know, uh, for that particular product. So if we're using a waterproof material, there's an ANSI standard, ANSI A118.10 and 
for different mortars, it'll have standards. So it doesn't necessarily say in the methods to use a system approach, but a system approach, I feel like, is always the best approach. Yeah, um, whenever, whenever you have a failure of, of any kind, if you've used the same waterproofing membrane, the same mortar manufacturer, the same grout, everything is from the same uh, company, then when you have that representative come out, there, the, you won't end up with an issue of people pointing fingers at each other saying, well, mm -hmm. his grout fell or his mortar fell. So, you know, on the off chance that you did have a problem, I think it's beneficial. Also, the manufacturers themselves promote you doing that by offering extended warranties that are, uh, you know, much longer if you use a system approach uh, with their products. Yeah, and I think also as some of them will actually void their warranty, and like like you said, Rob, they'll begin pointing fingers at, at one another as well. Uh, for those of you listening live, let me get the phone number out here one more time. That's three two three eight seven zero three nine six eight. That's three two three eight seven zero three nine six eight. If you have a question for Mark or Rob, feel free to to, to call in. Of course, this will be available on a podcast afterwards. So. Uh, um, I'm sure you guys will be available for questions there as well because you do that every day. Yeah. Um, what what other type of bonding issues uh, can we discuss? I mean, we talked about the spot bonding method. We talked about, you know, bond, bond breakers. Uh, what about uh, some of these new tiles there that have actually no absorption to them at all or some of the resin back materials? Uh, what issues do you see with those? Yeah, that's uh, very interesting, Fred. And, and let's get back. I, I, keep in mind those uh, tiles you just described, but I want to back up a little bit uh, to sure. our add to our discussion of uh, substrate prep. And we talked about some wood, and we both mentioned a variety of things. We also want to talk about concrete surface prep. A uh, common uh, problem, I think, is over-troweling concrete or when all of the pores are closed into concrete substrate when uh, uh, a curing enhancer has been added to the concrete that can be a bond breaker so that it doesn't mm -hmm. bond to the concrete in those cases uh, work has to be done to that concrete to open up those pores again it's got to be uh, bush hammered or ground or somehow prepared to make it absorbent so that even those polymers and everything can grab get in there and grab into that concrete and bond so i just wanted to mention that well, you know, Mark, that, that's a real important question, and unfortunately, that brings up another question, or I should say fortunately, and I run into this all the time, and that is, whose responsibility is that? You know, I, I get contractors all the time saying, well, hey, you know, the general contractor said he would give me a, you know, say a concrete slab that's ready for tile, uh, but it's not for whatever reason, and it gets failed, and, you know, now it's down to who you blame, so... Uh, What's your advice there? You know, who's responsible for that 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 substrate? Let's just say substrate in general being ready for a tile installation. Yeah, well, oh, yeah. One, we, one thing, we, go, one ahead, thing I'd like to ask before we get too far along, Mark did a great job of talking about how concrete is oftentimes over-trialed and it closes off the pore structure, and also you know a lot of uh, curing compounds can can be an issue in bomb breakers. But the way for, is an important thing to know. And basically, there's just a simple test of putting water drops on the surface of the, the concrete to see if those water drops absorb in a certain amount of time. And if, 
if they don't, if they beat up like they beat up on a wax car, then you know at that point you have an issue and you have to right. uh, address that actually is an ASTM test uh, to do the water droplet test. So I think it's important that our audience knows how to check it. But when it comes to, um, you know, who's responsible for different things, um, you know, if you're familiar with the handbook, we've got a, a lot of terrific methods in the handbook of a variety of different ways to install towel on a variety of different surfaces. And there's a section in each one of those methods. They're always identified with a letter and number designation, you know, like method F1411 or whatever it would be a floor method. Um, but there's a, a section in those that's called preparation by other trades. And in that section, it kind of spells out, you know, uh, who's responsible for, for what uh, when you do that particular method. So, um, and you Usually it talks especially about uh, deflection and how things are structurally built being, uh, you know, it, it's usually in preparation by other trades. Perfect. And Anything Rob, to add to that, Mark? A, a, yeah, Rob did a great job explaining that. And uh, in a, a couple of explanations ago, Rob also said that in your contract, you put some language of what you expect to receive based on that method that Rob just described in preparations by other trade. Um, this is where it's really important for a tile contractor and an installer to own, understand, and use the ANSI standards and the TCNA handbook. They can be your best friend and make you the smartest tile kid on the block and make you successful in business as well. Now, when you're expecting to receive a surface uh, to tile, it should be made flat enough to meet those industry standards. It should be made uh, the proper porosity, uh, everything necessary for you to come in and tile on. And if it doesn't, then you have an opportunity to make some money to make it flat or make it porous or do that work. It should not be expected that the tile contractor or installer should do that work for free. And we see this time and again with the phone calls and the questions that we get yep. that, well, you know, the GC said this and that's just the way it is. Well, that's not just the way it is. And to be forewarned is to be forearmed in this case, in my yep. opinion. I agree 100%. We got another caller in here. See if we can get this caller in from the, uh, see from the 415 area code. Caller, are you there? Hey, Fred, it's Martin. Hey guys. Hey Martin. Hey, hey guys. Hey Martin. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> well, there's a lot of information yeah. to take in. Let me tell you, this is a show that I think people should listen to over and over again. And you're doing a great job, by the way. Uh, Thank you, a couple of things for listening, though, that I, I want to dial in a little bit more is on the eight in ten. There's also something a little bit more, you know, if you dial it in a little bit more specific, which is the sixteenth and twelfth. And I think that's a piece that a lot of guys miss. And it's really important if you're doing fine work like stone or you're doing a really, you know, fine porcelain tile with a 16th grout joint that you need to know that too, that it's a 16th and 12th. So you've really got to dial in your, your substrate, get your substrate prep uh, just like perfect. And, uh, mm -hmm. I, I, you know, this standard is there to help you. It's to a lot of guys overseas. If it's not going to help you, it's certainly going to help the attorney. 
who is not going to help you when it when it com- when it comes down to it. So I think it's yeah. really important you you read it over and over again and you understand it and that you're able to perfect it and and that will help you help your business and keep you out of trouble. So there's no attorney coming knocking on your door. The other thing, to Fred's point, and I brought this up a couple of years ago in a in I think it was a technical committee meeting, is the coverage and the contact. And and I think a lot of people didn't understand where where I was trying to go with this or what I was trying to say. But there's a big difference between coverage and contact. You could have 100% coverage on the back of a tile. But when you install that, you may only have 50% contact. And I've had installers who I've been to look at the work argue with me that they've got, look, this thin set there. I've got 100% coverage. And there's a, there's, a, there's a disconnect between them understanding. They've back-butted. They, they, they've, they've got a uh, 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 thin set on the, on the surface they're adhering to. But because of maybe a curvature in the tile or something, they do not have the contact needed. And, and, they, and it failed. And their argument is, well, I had 100% coverage, but they didn't have 100% contact. And I think that's really important, too, that an installer pops his tiles once in a while to make sure he's got that stippled look on the back of his tile to show that he's getting 100% coverage or as close to it as darn possible. Absolutely. Uh, You're right, Martin. And I I see that all the time, especially when I've had installers pop a tile up and they'll see the trowel marks there. Look, look, I got, look at all those trowel marks. I did a great job. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Right. They think they have a, they think they've got a hundred percent coverage, which they've got a hundred percent coverage on the substrate. They have a hundred percent coverage on the back of the tile, but they don't have a hundred percent contact. Yep. Absolutely. Great point. Great job guys. Uh, Thanks for taking my call. Martin. Thank you, Martin. Martin, uh, great to hear from you. And, and if, if everybody doesn't know, Martin Brooks is the president of the NTCA. Yes. Yeah. We're lucky to and have he's him. A, and he's a great guy, too, aren't you, Martin? Thank you. You're welcome, sir. Uh, Thank you. Thank you, Martin. Hey, Fred, can I, can I pick up on Martin's points a little bit? Do yes, you have a minute absolutely. For that? Yes, absolutely. Go ahead. Yeah, and I thought of that when uh, we were mentioning the eighth in 10 and the quarter in 10, and Martin's absolutely right. It does get dialed in more finely detailed than that. Uh, In fact, I got the standard open right in front of me, and it says the permissible variation of a quarter of an inch in 10 feet from the required plane and no more than one sixteenth of an inch variation in 12 inches. Now, that's for the smaller tiles. When we get up to those bigger tiles with an edge of 15 inches or greater, it goes from an eighth of an inch in 10 feet from the required plane and no more than a sixteenth of an inch in 24 inches. So let me just say that again. It goes from a sixteenth of an inch in 12 inches. Now, imagine your old grade school ruler in your hands. That's 12 inches, sixteenth of an inch double the length of that to a 16th of an inch in 24 inches. That is like doubling down on that flatness requirement oh, yeah. for setting the, what we call large format tile. Pretty flat. <laughs> pretty flat, pretty flat, it's, pretty darn flat. And you know, who would think we could spend an hour talking about <laughs> properly mixing mortar, selecting mortar and, uh, you know, Martin just brought up trowel selection and yep. proper trowel usage, basically, right, Fred? Oh yeah, it's another subject. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, one thing that, that Mark said that I, I really rang true with me is, you know, with these large format tiles, back buttering is, is recommended. Uh, but a lot of guys think that that's a cure-all, that if they put a skim no. of mortar on the back of the tile and then they put a couple of dots of mortar on the floor, that they they have the coverage. Or if they trial the floor and, and back butter and use the wrong trial, they think just because they put that, that uh, you know, little bit of mortar on the back of the tile that they're going to have it supported. And, and if they don't use the right trial and the right technique, and we've got a terrific video on that. Uh, it's called Trial and Error. If anyone hasn't seen it, they need to check it out. It's been viewed millions of times. But, Excellent. you know, it's all about that directional trialing uh, and moving that tile in a way where we can facilitate air to be removed and the collapsing of those ridges. Because when you take the tile up like you described, Fred, and you see those ridge marks, you know that you don't have complete coverage because those ridges right. haven't been... Uh, collapse to the point that they need, or they wouldn't even show, you know. Right. And that brings me to the question I I asked before we got into this discussion, and that is when we talk about, you know, you could have all that, you know, as you had mentioned, Rob, but if you have the wrong setting mortar, you know, for example, uh, the resin back tile that I've talked about where, you know, a guy will go to one of the big box stores, pick up a, you know, a bag of standard thin set and apply a resin back material there. And all of a sudden he's got the proper trial technique. He's got the proper trial size. He's got the proper coverage. He's beat it in. He's done it, collapsed the ridges, but it still doesn't bond. So uh, you want to address that? Sure. Sure. Yeah. Well, you know, we've got a lot of terrific standards that, you know, it's, I'm just really thankful that we've got them because when people have a question, you know, it's already been spelled out. But one thing that we don't have is a, is a standardization for the backing of tile, uh, meaning that that backing has to be a certain uh, material. And so we have a lot of different manufacturers using a lot of different types of backing. And because of that, we've got a lot of different results when we use different mortars with it. So. Um, you know, it's really important. It goes back to manufacturer's instructions. And one thing that uh, we recommend is uh, the use of epoxy adhesive whenever we have resin-backed uh, yep. stone time. Uh, that's, that's the safest bet. But I always talk to the manufacturer. But, you know, part of the problem is, is there's no standardization in the backing of the tile. It could be, it could be anything. And uh, what might what might work on one tile will not work on the next tile that you get. So um, that's really the problem. But we always recommend epoxy adhesives with those and speaking with the manufacturer before you start. Yeah, and well, Rob, you're absolutely, you're absolutely right, Rob. And when we talk about that 80% coverage and 95% coverage, we have to consider that backing on the back of the stoner tile as well. And if it's a mesh, is the coverage getting through to the actual tile? And if not, what is between that tile body and the bond coat? That's where that resin comes in and you've got to be savvy enough. The installer in the field needs to be savvy enough to be that final quality control check on what that is. You're absolutely correct. And also not to throw another wrench into it, but, uh, you know, I've also seen instances where the actual, you know, let's take an example, a, a fiberglass back tile 
where the uh, the bonding, I'm not talking about the bonding the installer does, but the bonding of the actual fiberglass back to the tile itself has failed. And that, that's obviously a manufacturing defect there. So installers, I think, need to check that as well. Have you seen that? You bet. And uh, sometimes where the most common place to see that is if uh, you're you're cutting that tile, you know, maybe cutting it on wet, uh, wet saw and it falls apart with water. Right. Yep. Uh, that that'll tell you a lot right there. What's holding that whole system together. So you have to be very careful with that and make sure that you're getting that bond through to the back of the tile. Exactly. Not a good thing. Well, guys, I, I, you know, we could carry this conversation on for another two hours, I think, easily. Uh, but unfortunately, we're running out of time. So I'm going to give uh, Mark and Rob uh, well, one last uh, uh, comment here, as well as uh, a little bit about the proper training. And uh, we'll call it a show. So you want to start off, Mark? Sure. You know, Fred, thank you for having us. It's always a pleasure to be here, and I'm really glad we have this opportunity to team with you and help educate the tile professional industry. And to do that, there are uh, other training opportunities besides the Dr. Fred Houston Stone and Tile Show. Um, with NTCA, our mission is to help train the tile industry based on the tile industry's recognized standards methods, best practices, and manufacturer instructions. You know, that sounds like a mouthful, and it is, <laughs> and it sounds really super dry, but it really isn't. If you're going to be a true tile professional, you want to really understand these uh, requirements and what makes your permanent finished tile installations tick and stand the test of time. You know, Fred, you mentioned that tile is a finish. It is a finish, but it's designed to be a permanent finish. Yep. And in today's modern structures, they move and flex and bend. We have to know about things like movement joints and expansion joints and all of these things that every installation needs. So the NTCA, we have a whole host of training programs. We have, um, uh, Rob can tell you, we've got a lot of virtual programs now. We have a virtual roundtable program. We have workshops that are virtual. We have a Facebook-based workshop series going now, so I hope you can watch for those. And we're getting ready to go back onto our trademark series where we're on the road with our vans and our trucks, and we do in-person workshops. We do day-long or multi-day-long regional training programs, and we get to meet with all the tile industry professionals across the country. So to get training, first thing I want everybody listening to do is I, I know you're a tile professional and I know that this job comes with a gigantic ego. So please mm -hmm. set your ego aside, look yourself in the mirror and ask yourself if you know everything you should know. Might not be cheating yourself by not attending a free workshop or training program when we're in your town. So please do that. Come out and meet us. We'd love to see you. Rob, any last thoughts? Yeah, Fred, it's been an honor to be here. Thank you so much for inviting us. And I just had one thought. If there's someone listening that isn't a member of the National Tile Contractors Association, I would encourage them to investigate some of the benefits. I mean, it's a terrific 
uh, a group of guys. We're here to support you and help you be successful. You know, I was a contractor for, for many years, and I remember all the new products and all the new tiles that we were installing over new building material. And even though I've been doing it for years, I was always running into new things. And we were, we were here to support the tile contractor, help them to be successful. It was, you know, after I realized or ran into the NTCA and became a member, you know, uh, it, it really built my confidence. I remember several times being on jobs and we were installing a tile in a way that uh, I'd never installed it before. It was specified, uh, you know, different. And frankly, the jobs were so big, I couldn't afford for them to go wrong. So uh, I had trouble sleeping at night. And once I became a member of the National Tile Contractors Association and could call for support and got that training, you know, those sleepless nights uh, went away. And it was just a real benefit. So if someone's listening and they're not a member, you know, investigate uh, what it takes to be a member. It's real simple. Uh we would love to have you. Our full-time job is to support you and, and to help you be successful. But, Fred, thank you again for, for having us, and I've just had a lot of fun in this conversation, so thanks. Great. And uh, either Mark or Rob, uh, how do uh, people get a hold of uh, either you or the Tile Association? I'm going to give out the website, perhaps. Sure. Uh, Fred, you mentioned it at the top of the show, I think, uh, yep. E hyphen A-S-S-N dot com. Or if you've got a question for uh, me or Rob, that's a, a kind of a technical related question, you can email us at E-C-H-N-I-C-A-L at tile dash A-S-S-N dot com. And I want to say, Fred, I don't know everything. I learn every single day and it's always something about tile and other things too i got a lot to learn elsewhere but tile i learned every single day and uh rob and i learned from each other and we learned from industry experts across the u.s so when we get to be on your team like rob said um we all make each other stronger and smarter yep. and that's good for all of us Absolutely agree with that 100%. I never stop learning. Well, gentlemen, thank you. And uh, you also brought up a ton of other subjects we need to discuss on perhaps a future show. So I would love to have you back. So thank you, guys. Thank you, Fred. Let's do it. All right. Yeah. All righty, guys. There we go. Uh, I'm going to sign off after these messages here. And uh, I'll be back for a, a quick announcement right after this. Thank you, Tough Skin, one of our gold sponsors. Marble etches and stains, Tough Skin guarantees it will not. Tough Skin provides a unique product and installation service anywhere in the USA with the proprietary stone laminate products. They protect marble countertops with an acid, oil, and waterproof guarantee. That's right, it's now possible to install marble, onyx, and travertine countertops without the worry of etching and staining from common household items like wine, lemon, coffee, or other acidic foods. People have been trying to figure this out for thousands of years, and Tough Skin Surface Protection has done it. Available in gloss and satin to match the countertop finish. Visit them online at toughskinprotection.com. That's T-U-F-F skinprotection.com to learn more. 
Alrighty, folks, that, that was that was such a great interview, uh, some uh, a wealth of information, and I want to encourage anyone listening to either tonight on this live uh, show or on the podcast or listening to the podcast is take this link and, and post it on your social media. You know, let other people, other installers, uh, contractors, or whomever in the industry, because the wealth of information these guys have is just you know it, it's 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 like an encyclopedia. It's it's great information. So, you know, please please repost. Re- that if you will uh one other announcement i want to make is i do have i I have added a uh an inspection and troubleshooting seminar coming up in florida i was just out in vegas uh last week doing one out there and um uh, i'm going to add one here in florida in july it's going to start july 5th so if anybody's interested in that particular uh troubleshooting seminar then uh, feel free to uh, send me an email that's f H-U-E-S-T-O-N at gmail.com and uh, I'll send you some information or just simply go to my website stoneforensics.com and click on the uh, training tab and you can get all the information you need on that particular seminar. So folks, until next week, uh, as I always say, keep setting those tiles, polishing that stone and fabricating those tops. Later, my friends. Are you looking for quality greenstone working products? ESP sells many lines of fine quality, environmentally safe products. Stone Pro, NB Stone Care, Bondstone and Touchstone Adhesives, more Stone Care products, Easy Care products, and Better Bio, which is over 80% bio-based and approved by the USDA. For more info, visit ESPSales.net. That's ESPSales.net. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.